So by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina and a guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hi. So today's episode has my heart completely pounding and in awe because in tonight's episode of Food Freedom with Get Permission Approach, I have the joy of interviewing Marsha Dunn-Klein, OTRL, MED, Fellow of the American Occupational Therapy Association. Y'all, she is the guru behind the Get Permission Approach and the author of Anxious Eaters, Anxious Mealtimes, Practical and Compassionate Strategies for Mealtime Peace. So if you have that little one on your caseload that has hit a therapeutic plateau, if you have the family that you're working with that have these goals on how much of variety and volume the child should be able to consume at this stage of your therapeutic intervention, but yet you are feeling overwhelmed and confused and frustrated Marsh is here to give you the strategies to talk about how mealtime should be peaceful, to describe how you can go through the try it story, how to redefine it, how to do stretches. And the most important takeaway from today's episode 
is that this has to happen on the child's pace and with their permission. So I hope you enjoy the hour. Uh, She definitely helped me personally with a case that I have been canoodling on. And y'all, if you haven't checked out her book, I highly recommend go pick up Anxious Eaters, Anxious Mealtime. Enjoy the hour. So I'm kind of fangirling and geeking out right now because y'all, one of my personal heroines is today's guest. I'm talking about none other than the Marsha Dunn Klein, OTRL, Masters of Education, and Fellow of the American Association of Occupational Therapists. I think I might have said that wrong, but we're going to roll with it. <laughs> y'all, this is the guru behind the Get Permission approach and the author of the new book, Anxious Eaters, Anxious Mealtimes, Practical and Compassionate Strategies for Mealtime Peace. Can we all breathe a collective sigh of oh and complete and total utter relief? Okay, as I've admitted before, once upon a time, I was a chewy tube loving Z-Vibe using oral motor exercise fan. Ugh. And then, then I saw the light. I realized that this was not effective, nor was it the evidence-based of way to approach little ones with a pediatric feeding disorder, a PFD. And I found this out by hitting the books. I pursued literature about the SOS approach, food chaining, and that led me to the Get Permission approach by Marsha Dunn-Klein. And I found that when I followed the child's leads, while also addressing the medical needs of the individual, but by following their leads, such as taking a known and pairing it with an unknown, that the patients that I worked with made more positive gains and we had fun in the process. Remember that feeding therapy should be fun. So, y'all, without further ado, da, 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 I'm so excited and like literally shaking. Um, but I get to introduce the one and only Marsha Dunklein. So, hi, Marsha. Thank you. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me here, and thank you so much for all you do, sharing information on your podcast. I'm just, I'm impressed that you have those kinds of skills to share with the world. So thanks. Mutual admiration society. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's a beautiful thing when women build each other up because that's what we're supposed to do. And I guess the men too, but sometimes they have cooties. At least my tiny, tiny men folk do. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So I, one, thank you again for coming on. And two, I have, I have so many questions, but like my my most pressing one is how did you get into feeding because you're a pillar in our community but how, i mean like i found this by accident but like how did you get into the world of pediatric feeding disorders wow so it was a long time ago because i am 71 and i've been doing this for almost 5 decades Oh my gosh. I knew when I went into OT school, I wanted to, to work in pediatrics. And then my first job was in pediatrics at a little program that was supporting very multiply handicapped children with lots of issues. And they all had feeding challenges. And as a new therapist, I wanted to be helpful, right? So at yeah. one time, I noticed every single kiddo needed help being fed. And I thought, well, I could help. And so I uh, just took my place trying to feed the kiddos. And I, I, I didn't know anything. And really nobody much knew, knew a lot at that point about feeding. So my whole goal was not to kill anybody. You know, where I'm going <laughs> to feed this baby a little bit or this young child and then hope that they don't choke. And when I'm going to but I'm going to follow their cues. And so interestingly, the first experiences I had with feeding was really following the baby's cues. So if this worked, does this work better? Does this help them be more comfortable? What works and what doesn't work? So that was my beginning. But even going back farther, Michelle, I grew up in a family of food celebrators. So my grandmother, Grandma Helen, when she came over on the boat, from Scotland, and my mom was four, she had no marketable skills except she was an amazing cook. And she yeah. worked in big old money estates 
in, in the United States as the cook. And so she prepared every meal with little fancy garnishes and little pretty foods. And, and the chicken had little legs that had little paper decorations on them. I mean, that's how she cooked. So when I grew up, I grew up in a family that celebrated food to that degree. And, and we weren't the, the wealthy homes that she cooked in. We were regular people, but she gave the legacy of, of loving food to my mom. She taught me to love food and prepare food. My mom loved food and prepared food. My children grew up in a household where we love and prepare food. And so food celebrating is just our way of life. So I just loved feeding kids. And there wasn't, as you were saying, Michelle, there wasn't just lots out there at that point. And I discovered people in, in, in Europe, and but then I discovered Suzanne Evans-Morris. And Suzanne, at the time, was finishing a PhD and, and developing the pre-feeding and speech skill, the pre-speech and feeding skill um, checklist and, and as part of her dissertation. So I just stalked Suzanne and <laughs> with her and realized, wait, I have a gift for working with these kiddos and doing teaching in lots of ways. And she has a gift here. And wait, we could combine these skills. Michelle, what crazy thing to think I'm a young, at that point, maybe 30-year-old therapist. And how, how did I think I could possibly coordinate with Suzanne? How brazen. But, but in fact, we had a great partnership, which continues to this day, where then I just kept learning more and more and more and more. And I want to say one more thing about that before I actually breathe. And that is, I didn't know much about feeding then. There wasn't much written. And I didn't even know that this was an OT skill or a speech skill or anybody's job because it wasn't anybody's job at that point. And so, and actually the Speech and Hearing Association at that point in life said, you know, feeding is not a speech activity. Thank you. That was way back a long time ago. But, but then I realized in order to get good at this, I have to learn from dietitians and GI doctors and physical therapists and speech yes. therapists and, and, and pulmonary doctors and, and psychologists. And, and I think those of us who have this passion like you, Michelle, and like me, we've had to learn from so many different people because that's what gives us, make, helps us make it right and make it good because it, it's about the big picture and those folks this team of collective people help make us good at this. Yes, it is interprofessional practice. Absolutely. I I remember feeling the enormity when I thought it was the silo SLP role, right? When it was just my job to address the feeding and swallowing. And then little by little, I had mentors brought into my world and I realized this is not for me to evaluate and, and quote unquote fix. This is, I have to seek out the guidance of all of those around me in this child's care. And that, yes. Also, you made me think of my sweet Erin because Erin, this whole podcast venture was her idea and she was a student and I was not that far along in my career. And she was like, but you ask the questions and you're not afraid to ask the questions from other people. And then you share it. She's like, we should do that. And then like, literally that's how we started the podcast. <laughs> so like, yay, <laughs> because we're that nerdy. Also, I have a great, I have a great grandma, Helene and, um, her daddy ran away with the, um, her daddy was actually one of the lander gentry in Switzerland and he ran away with his wife's nursemaid. So I'm technically, technically we're the bastards from Switzerland, but like, you know, we, we got here creatively and then married into the Padawamic and the Cherokee tribes on the other side of my family. But I love a good backstory. Yay. <laughs> good. Oh, oh my. Okay. All right. So I, I know that I have absorbed as much of your literature as I can over the years, but for those that are just starting out, can you please explain to us what is the get permission approach and why is this so vital to evaluation and treatment of little ones with the PFD? My goodness. Yes, yes, yes. So at some point in my life, um, 
I, I was, I had a, a, a clinic and we put on courses and we invited Ellen Satter to come out and visit. And, um, that was a gift in my career early on. And, um, uh, I, I kept talking about, we, you know, we just have to get permission from kids. And, and, and that was sort of the jargon I was using. And at one point she said, you know, and Marsha's get permission approach. And on page 257 of her child in mind book, she refers to Marsha Dunkline and her get permission approach. So it, it was born that day or that at that time in my life back in 2000, when, when she published that book. But seriously, um, the, the get permission approach is not some protocol. That's I've got to start out with that. It is a philosophy, and it's a group of shared strategies that are evidence-based, that are based on really good principles of normal development and learning and what works with children. And it's a very kind approach. It is based on trust, reading children's cues, and the belief in, to the bottom of my heart that feeding is a relationship between the parents and the child. And that as a therapist, it is not my job to be important. It is not my job to get kids to eat. It is my job to support parents being successful in helping their children learn to eat, and learn to love food. And what I realized was there was a lot going on out there that were protocols, that were um, sort of rigid checklists, that were um, just focusing on the mouth or the tools or um, uh, one aspect of, of feeding. And in the Get Permission approach, we backed up that camera, that video camera, and said, let's look at the whole picture, starting with this should be enjoyable because my philosophy of eating is I should love eating and I want to help people love eating and I want to help children love eating. I want to help parents love feeding their children. And I thought that was kind of missing in some approaches that were being taught out there. So I started collecting these kinds of bits of information and sharing those and have had such amazing feedback from my courses through the years, my writings with Suzanne as we did pre-feeding skills, first and second edition, and hint, the third edition is maybe on the way. Um, yes! <laughs> so, so I, so I ju just realized that this voice needed to be out there, and I have loved sharing it all over the world. Well, it honestly, all of this started for me when I was vibrating a child's face and the mom was like, what are you doing? And I mean, I was, oh God, 29, 30 and I had seen colleagues do it. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm waking her face up. And she was like, but why? She is awake. <laughs> and I was like, to get her mouth ready for food. And she was like, but why? She's awake. And I mean, like, I just, I couldn't quantify my answer and that it was, it was at that aha moment when I was like, we, we, what is actually happening here? And yeah. that it, it, it changed who I was and going back and understand. And I got to tell you folks, I'm serious. When you, when you follow the child's lead and you help the family healing with food on their journey and their journey may not, not every child will be a hundred percent PO. Okay. Because they have baseline disorders and diseases that may mean that they need supplemental nutrition through a G2. They may only get to the point that they get to have pleasurable quality of life bites. But if they get to have a little bit of mom's like special, um, Christmas is around the corner. My mom makes a mint grasshopper pie every Christmas. And if, which totally pairs into your grasshopperness, but yay. But, um, also my mom's mint grasshopper pie definitely has some heavy cream to mint in it. So maybe not appropriate for all tiny humans, but if that's what the child's end goal is, is a tiny pleasurable bite, then let's help them on their healing journey. So yes. Okay. Pleasure. So, pleasure. Yes. And enjoyment. Pleasure, mm -hmm. enjoyment, and confidence in their skills, in their motor skills, enjoyment mm -hmm. in the sensory aspects of eating because we eat because we 
like it. We like what it looks like and smells like and tastes like and feels like. And, and, and why can't that be the goal with these kiddos? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that interception where, where it is in my mouth? Is that the interception? And through the system and through the, and also through your gut and, and how it feels and how your appetite feels and how your body feels about food. Yes. I didn't know interception went that far down. Well, I think of it as completely from top to bottom. I just think yes. it's the internal part. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That makes perfect sense, which is also why I can't consume that much cheese because it's good for like the taste buds, but then, you know. <laughs> Okay, so in your new book, um, Anxious Eaters, Anxious Meal Times, y'all, which is amazing, and I have a copy. Uh, it's de- I, I loaned it out to my students. We set up the very first pediatric feeding disorders clinic at um, Francis Marion University. It's the first PFD clinic at any university in the state of South Carolina. And I have my students that have signed up for the PFD clinic um, reading like specific text, and they absolutely love my copy of your book. So thank you very much. But um, you talk about in the book, you talk about mealtime peace. So can you, can you talk about who are the anxious eaters and how do we identify them? And how does that carry over to working to set up mealtime peace? Oh, yes, I can. So I, I love this book. And it's actually the first book I've done on my own because I have a history of books with co-authors. Mm-hmm. But I, in, a, in a week period of time, I had a conversation with two different parents and both of them said, well, where can I read this stuff? Where can I read what you're telling me? Because it makes so much sense. And I went, oh, hmm, I, I think I need to do a new book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in October, and on March 1st, it was into the publisher. So I was motivated. Um. And I've also, what I also love about this book is that I wrote it and I started out writing it for parents and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I went, wait, there's a lot more information than parents want here. And if parents read it they, and they say to their therapist, I want to do these sorts of things and the therapist hasn't read it, well, then it's not helpful. So I, I ended up modifying it. So it is for parents and professionals. There's lots of information and practical ideas for professionals, but parents also love it. And I've had parents say to me, Marsha, it feels like a hug when I read it. And that Mm. just makes my heart so happy. So the eaters we're talking about in, in this book are those picky eaters that are way beyond toddler pickiness and toddler worry. And that sort of stage of toddler independence that, that, that are, that is so common. These are those kiddos that that got really worried about new foods, but kept their worry. These are kiddos that have what I'm going to describe as the parentheses diet. And what I mean by that is when I ask a family, tell me about your child's foods. And, and the way I describe it to parents, I say, can you tell me about their foods? And if I were to babysit for them on a Friday night. Um, and, and feed them dinner. What do I need to know? So, for example, if you say to me, Johnny loves yogurt, I'm going to say, tell me about that. Is there anything I need to know about the yogurt? And the parents of these really worried and picky eaters, I call them anxious eaters, um, are going to, the parents are going to say, yeah, it has to be blueberry yogurt, Kroger's brand, off mm-hmm. of, out of the container, opened in front of the child. So. Yes. So I put that in parentheses. So I write down yogurt and the qualifiers is the parentheses. Okay, peanut butter sandwich. Great. What do I need to know? Oh, it must be one brand. It must be one kind of bread. It must be the crust cut off and it has to be in triangles. And if I serve it in squares, they won't eat it. And then apple juice must be from the green box and or milk must be in the red cup. I mean, when parents who have children that are this worried and this anxious, um, they, they, we call it the list. But it's mm-hmm. the parentheses diet. And the parentheses talks to the worry. So the child that can eat chicken nuggets and French fries and yogurt and one kind of apple juice and three kinds of crackers and popcorn and corn chips, I am not going to see that child and immediately think motor, oral motor is the problem. 
I can't tell you that oral motor is perfect. I don't know that yet. They don't eat enough hard foods, steak, apples, you know, things that really require a big, strong rotary chewing. But I can tell you that child has enough skills that they could be eating other foods and they're not. These are those kids. Many of these kids actually end up with diagnoses of ARFID these days that have some concern about the sensory look, the smell, the taste, the sound, and the texture of the food. That there, there is something about how the food looks. The child is hypervigilant to change. And these parents want to feed their kids balanced diets. They want to feed their kids all the healthy foods that the family usually eats, and they can't. And these families feel judged and these families feel shamed. And they are, they don't want to just feed their kids the crackery, crunchy things that they want to eat all day and the foods that are brown, right? These families want to feed their kids a variety of foods and their kids won't, can't, are unable. And we know from lots of research that a lot of these kids that have sort of extreme food meal phobia have extreme narrowness and they're eating also have worry. They may mm-hmm. have anxiety. They may have uh, obsessive kinds of issues, diagnosed or undiagnosed. And oftentimes they're from families that also have some sort of worry or anxiety or obsessiveness in their family. There's, there's a genetic component for many of these kiddos. So that's the kiddos. And then, and then what I realized is there's a lot of therapists out there who are going in, going, okay, you have a narrow diet. We're going to add broccoli, lima beans, and lettuce. And they're going right to new food trying. But what I realized is, wait, these kids can make much more change if we collectively can aim for a peaceful mealtime. I call it mealtime peace first. That is, can we reduce the worry? Can we help this child want to come to the table? Because really, this child, off, these children often come to the table and they're worried. There's going to be a plate full of food that's not familiar. There's going to be somebody saying, just take three bites of your unfamiliar food before you take your familiar food. They're going to have contingencies. They're going to have worry. <clears throat> and trying new food is worrisome. A, mouth, a plate of unfamiliar food is worrisome. So these kids are coming to the table already built up with their anxiety. It is their least favorite thing to do. And probably they also had to come from their computer where they were doing something fun to the dinner, which is not fun. So in the get permission approach, we are talking about first reducing the anxiety and the worry at mealtimes. Can we help prepare the child for the, for the mealtime more? Can we give them a step-down activity before they get to the mealtime? Can we have no pressure? No, have a bite, take a bite, must have three bites, required to have three bites. You must lick it six times before you get to try the food you know. All of that pressury kinds of stuff that we do. Or it's also kind of pressury to say, if you eat this, then you get this toy. Then you get this reward. Mm-hmm. Because then we're taking away their interest in the mealtime and making them eat for external rewards that, rather than for internal So in developing a situation of mealtime peace, we are trying to create internal motivation to eat that the child is coming there because they want to. So sometimes we have, we set up novelty plates and novelty forks sometimes. And we often start with the foods they know and just have healthy, happy, comfortable, peaceful mealtimes. And then we teach new food trying skills away from the table. So as the child begins to get confidence in those skills, we bring those skills and those new foods to the table, but the table is peaceful. The family's having family conversations. The child is included and joyful and passing foods and maybe helping prepare foods and helping um, uh, put foods on plates or put garnishes on the table. The child is being celebrated for being a part of that meal. And learning those nudgy kind of new food trying things joyfully also, but away from the table and bringing them there once they're comfortable. There's a lot more about that in the book. And I know, Michelle, we could talk about this for an hour, but that's the gist of it. Hmm. Um, I have one little guy that I've had the pleasure of working with for two years. 
and it's been it's been a roller coaster of diagnoses and disorders and and the gamut, right? Um, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, type one diabetes, um, ASD, Down syndrome, um, and we finally found, finally got him to an endocrinologist to find out that um, his body's producing producing zero growth hormone factor, and um, got his his mom advocated, got the insurance to pay for the synthetic growth hormone. They didn't want to pay for it because he's a child with special needs at baseline, but mom threatened to sue and insurance covered it. Um, and in the meantime, while, you know, I, I embraced this and I was like, let's just not put pressure. Let's just let him have fun. And mom started bringing him in the kitchen. We would do mock grocery store trips because he's not safe to go to the grocery store because of the pandemic. So he has, you know, a slew of sisters. So we would pretend to go to the grocery store and buy the ingredients. And then mom would, We'd, we'd stand at the kitchen. Mom would cut the food. And, you know, sometimes he would help pull the peel off the banana. I mean, granted, we did do peel, banana, peel, peel, banana. Hey, while we were like peeling the banana. And um, I convinced Michelle cannot carry a tune, but he loved it. So we rocked it. But while we were addressing all of those etiologies, getting him in the kitchen and putting joy back in this, once the medicine started naturally kicking in and he and he had that internal physiological motivator piece at play oh my gosh he started wanting to serve food he yeah. started wanting to um no shell shell gets pink plate shell gets pink plate i get purple plate and like he'd get excited about like setting the table up and and one and we've seen his Appetite and his choices naturally progress because we brought, mom calls it, we, she said that we restored love back into it. Oh. And I think, and I mean, that family emanates love, but mealtimes had become so stressful. And it, I am so grateful for the work that you have done. Please, I know you have saved and helped thousands of families, but really truthfully, thank you because, oh. yeah. Thank you, Michelle. You know what, you, you, you just, I mean, the, the idea that eating is only one, the chewing part is only one tiny part of a mealtime. And yeah. these kids are only celebrated because they took, you know, X bites of their non-preferred food before they had their preferred food. And if it's a protocol, that is not joyful. That's not a mealtime. And mealtime can be about, as you said, grocery shopping and helping put away the groceries and helping prepare the salad and making cupcakes for grandma and being celebrated around food in lots of different ways. And that celebration around food is lost for many of the kiddos that I meet by the time I meet them because they've been really just, the focus has been get 15 bites in this kid. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you just found that celebration with this family. And the celebration helps them enjoy it and feel internally motivated and what a difference that makes. We know that every day. And we have mm -hmm. talks about an authoritarian approach it doesn't work anywhere near as well long term as, as an internally motivated um, directed approach. So we have evidence that helps us with that too, which is great. Yeah. I'm just thinking now if I could just convince my seven, my six-year-old sweet bear that quiche is delicious when we have fancy quiche dinner once a month because mom loves quiche. I mean, then we're on it. But like, you know, fun fact about being the SLP's son. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, okay. So I, I love your grasshopper analogy. And I know that this has become your, your symbol for lack of a better phrase. So can you talk to us about how the grasshopper became a mascot for this get permission approach? Oh, I can. And it's a great story. So many of you heard me at courses um, have heard it. If you go to my website, 
um, which I think Michelle will talk about later. Um, yes, ma'am. I videotaped it. It is on my website, and you can share that videotape with any family that you meet. And I have it as a story written, and and people from all over the world where I travel and present have translated into different languages. So it's on my website in different languages. And if you need it in a different language than that's not present there, you can email me, and we can figure this out. Uh, it's the video has also been translated into Portuguese and Greek, and it's working on other languages. Oh, and Spanish. So um, anyway, it's available. But I want to tell you the story because it's such a good one. My children and I were went to Oaxaca, Mexico for six weeks for an intensive language program when my kids were probably, I think, 10 and 13. And we were living with a Oaxacanian family, and they were providing our room and our board. So I said to them, guys, we... We have to eat everything that's offered when we're here because we need to be really good guests. We can't be picky. We're just going to eat everything. And they were amazing. They ate everything every day, even things that when we came home and I made them, they didn't eat them. But <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the Thursday before our last class, our senora went out and got una sorpresa for us, una sorpresa, a surprise. And, you know, she... She didn't have lots of money. She went out and bought something special for us. And what it was, was, yo tengo una sorpresa, champolinas. So she had champolinas. And I said, okay, what's that? Champolinas, what is that? And so she didn't know how to say it in English. And so I looked it up in my handy dandy little dictionary and it said grasshoppers. And I went, ah! okay, grasshoppers, wait, wait, grasshoppers? And so, Adonde? Where are they? And so uh, there there was a big bowl with a pile of grasshoppers. Now, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, my God is right. And, okay. The good news was they were dead because I, I knew that in some countries, people ate grasshoppers and just picked them up off the ground and just ate them. And or at least that was what the rumor was. So I, I, but they were dead. That was a good story. But uh, and, and they smelled like garlic. And I, I like garlic. But uh, there were parts in this bowl, Michelle. There were eye parts, leg parts, body parts, <laughs> antenna parts. I mean, there were parts. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So my kids are looking at me like, you know, mom, put your mouth where your mouth is because, you know, you're going first. So, uh, yeah, it is. So, okay. So how do you do this? So I watched our senora. She took tortillas and she put guacamole on it. And I love guacamole. And then she put um, a handful. Uh, Michelle, I kid you not. It was a handful of grasshoppers. And she folded it up like a taco and ate it. And I thought, Whoa! Oh, my gosh. So, uh, okay. So I took a tortilla because I like tortillas. And then I put guacamole on it. Like I put a lot of guacamole on mine. And then I took a tiny little part <laughs> And I put it in the middle of my guacamole and I folded my tortilla and I ate it. And I, there was a little small crunch in the center, but I lived through it. And, and it, it didn't taste like anything except tortilla and guacamole, but all right, I lived through it. But then this was lunch. And, you know, I didn't want to offend her in any way at all. So by my fourth one, I was kind of impressed. I took, you know, kind of a small pile of of grasshoppers with my fingertips, you know, not her palm full, but my fingertip full and put them in the center and folded it. And there was quite a bit more crunch, but it was all right. I was okay. And I, I lived through it. And we had so much fun that when my husband came down to meet us to travel around in the next week, we took him to a restaurant where they served grasshoppers so we could take pictures of him eating grasshoppers. But I realized afterwards <laughs> what, of course, what I do for a living is kids with eating challenges and with worry. And I realized right then and there, I had a lot of food worry. I became an immediate anxious eater. There's this food that I didn't know that I didn't, I, I, I really philosophically sort of generically worried about it. But what did I do? I did what our kids do and what we need to do to help our kids. First of all, we had rehearsals. And in my new book, I talk about rehearsals all the time. One kind of rehearsal I had was I got to watch our senora eating it. So I got to see how she did it. I got to see that she paired the tortilla and the guacamole and the grasshoppers. And then I had sensory rehearsals. So I got to look at it. Eh, that wasn't so great. I got to smell it. <laughs> it was okay. I got to 
uh, touch it. Uh, yeah, it was crunchy in my fingertips. So I knew it wasn't going to melt in my mouth like a Ritz cracker. It wasn't going to spread around my mouth like yogurt. It was going to need to be chewed. Okay, I learned that. So I learned a little bit about it in advance, sensory-wise. And then I got to go at my own pace. So I got to pair the grasshoppers with a food I already know and like, tortilla mm-hmm. and guacamole. And I got to start with the tiniest little grasshopper part and then build up because really I'm the only one that knows how fast I can do this. As our kids are that are anxious, they're the only ones that know their pace. And if we don't listen to their pace and follow their pace, we could easily push them right over the edge. And if you had given me a mouthful of grasshoppers on a spoon told me to put my hands down, sit in my seat belted seat, open my mouth while you place those carefully in my mouth. Thank you anyway. I would have probably thrown up. I mean, honestly, I probably would have. Yep. It was too much for me. I can even hear your your worry in your size as I'm telling you this story. You know, you have to go at your own pace in this kind of story. And what I realized after, afterwards was, Wow, this is a great story because when parents hear it, they go, oh, wow. And I say to parents, if you consider every new food you give your child and present it to them as if it were a grasshopper, you're going to present it in such a better way that the child, your child is going to have more success with it. So consider it a grasshopper. So at that stage of my life, I started giving little grasshopper magnets to every family that I saw, and they put them on the refrigerator. And now I have the new grasshopper that you'll see on my website and on my book. And the, the boy on the cover of the book, his sister painted me that grasshopper picture out of dripped crayon colors. It's the most gorgeous picture. Now I make those into magnets and I, and if people want those magnets, I mean, I give them to them when I work with them, but, um, also I, um, some of you might know, I have a nonprofit called nourish and, um, we are selling those magnets as a fundraiser for nourish. So, um, but if you called me and just said, I just really need one, I'd send you one. And I think I sent you one with your book. Didn't I, Michelle? Yes, yes, it's on. I have um I have a filing cabinet in my office and um I have all of my feeding matters magnets and your grasshopper and this is super cheesy but I've been talking to our students about the importance of branding um and giving them like Asha's resources on like because per- Asha has a page on like young professionals and like personal branding mm-hmm. and so I had them make business cards while they were graduate students and so your grasshopper is holding up one of my sweet FMU students oh. <laughs> on and like next to like the feeding matters and um Bless her. We've been uh, utilizing these approaches with the little one, and we just had a cheeseburger party, a cheeseburger tea party, and. My student came through and is eating cheeseburgers. And she was like, I never would have eaten a cheeseburger before we started feeding therapy with this patient. (laughs) And so like, it just, I mean, cheeseburgers were her grasshoppers. It's all good. (laughs) You know, and I just have to say, I'm, uh, I'm, thank you for sharing it with your students because I think it'll be meaningful to them, but also thank her and you for being a role model that says we need to eat with kids. Because oh, the, yes. the whole idea of therapy where you sit across the table from somebody, put their hands down, put them in a seatbelt and make them eat is just such an unnatural way to eat. But in my clinic, um, which I no longer own, I, I've sold it because I'm in that stage of my life. But in our clinic, we eat with children, period. Yes. That's the rule. Children, and we have research that tells us children eat more when their grownups around them are eating it. Yes. So we just eat. the the food with them and we enjoy it and we celebrate it with them and good for her for finding a way to try that grasshopper cheeseburger. (laughs) I mean, I, I had to politely come up with like a bow out for the cheeseburger because I don't have a gallbladder. So like I love meat, but the feeling is not mutual digestive wise. Um, So like, it's really hard to be like a pescatarian doing feeding therapy. So I just do like vegetarian subs and like the kids don't necessarily know that like 
Miss Michelle is not eating like the chicken nuggets because I get like the faux chicken nuggets. <laughs> but, like, yes. but also, um, if you have a parent with you in therapy all the time, which by the way, that's our other second rule, not only yes. with the kids, but the parents are sitting right there, then you can say it's mom's turn. You know, and if you're a student, it's the student's turn and it's mom's turn. And, it, you know, so you can mom can be the focus rather than you. If it's a food, you just can't plain, just plain can't eat. Yes. OK, wait, I just have to say this one more time, folks, for the people that are listening one more time. We break bread with the tiny humans and we get their families involved in therapy, embrace the coaching method, get them in that clinic room with you. You get them for maybe one 30 minutes to an hour long session a week. Get the family, the caregivers in there and then break bread with them as well because y'all that opens the door. So I just, just, yes. Thank you for saying that. Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 Oh, huge soapbox. Oh my gosh. A soapbox about a grasshopper and a cheeseburger. Who knew that those three words would be strung together today? Okay. So, all right. So we, we touched about mealtime piece earlier, but was there anything else that you wanted to circle back around to regarding mealtime piece? Um, you know, I, I, I could talk about mealtime peace for days and days and days, but part of mealtime peace in, in that stage when we're trying to make mealtimes peaceful is we are giving kids a lot of rehearsals. So I talked about rehearsals with the grasshopper, but rehearsals are watching p- parents eat, help prepare the food, helping to stir the food, helping to cut the food, helping to set, put napkins on the table, make, uh, have mealtime jobs that they're celebrated for. So there's, I, I think I, we've given you the overview and, and uh, there's just lots more that we can share. It, I'll have some up on my Instagram soon, more about that. Excellent. Well, thank you. Y'all, her, um, what is your Instagram handle so they know where to go to find you on Instagram? Get Permission Approach and www.getpermissionapproach.com is my uh, email. And I'm, I'm sorry, my website. And uh, my me- my email is marciadunkline at gmail.com. You're welcome to write to me as long as you're patient about how long it takes to get a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So um, in, over the course of, I know, this tiny, intense um, time frame that we've recorded, but also in, um, in your books and in your lecture series, you've expressed interesting ways to help worried eaters try new foods. So can you describe some of them, such as like the try it story, the redefine it, try it? I I can if we have enough time. I Oh yes, we we we're good. We we got I'm I'm I hate being the clock pacekeeper, but I've gotten like fair to midland at it. Oh okay. Or I try to. <laughs> so so one of the things that I believe strongly is that we need to teach redefine it. I'm sorry. We need to teach try it strategies, new food trying strategies um, away from the table. And we need to then bring those to the table once children are confident with them. But I started talking about redefining what we mean by try it after I met an adult woman um, come to me and say, you know, Marcia, I'm a picky eater and she worked with my husband and, you know, I'm, I'm married a, a recently and I, my husband's a, new, as a foodie and I don't like foods and I need to know how to try new foods. And Michelle, I, I don't work with adults particularly. I mean, I share ideas with them, but that's not who my, my population is. But I said to her, you know, Marta, uh, how do you try new foods? And she said, well, you know, I, I take a bite and I plug my nose and I chug water and she's making these grimacy faces and oh, no. do it. And I said, well, sweetheart, is that working for you? How's it going? And said, oh, I'm not finding anything I like, which are we surprised, right? Because she was flooding herself. She was, she was try it to her meant just take a mouthful and just get it down. Oh, no. not trying it. Trying it is finding a way to enjoy it. And how can we do that? So, so I said, well, what food do you want to try? And she said, I want to try salmon because my husband loves salmon. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of a big smell. And <laughs> she wants to. Okay. So I said, could you watch when your husband grills it and stand nearby? And does the smell bother you? She said, no, no, it's okay. I, I, I like watching him do that. I said, okay. So what might you be eating with the salmon? And she said, oh, bread, rice, 
potato, you know, white things was what she ate. And so I said, could you take a little piece of bread and take a tiny morsel of salmon and put it on the bread and then cover it with a sandwich lid? And, and then could you eat that? And she goes, yes, I could do that. And I said, well, why don't you try that and consider that if that works for you, you could make the salmon a little bigger, a little at a time, and you could make the bread smaller and eventually have no top on the bread. And, and, um, and you could go as fast as you're ready. And she just got so excited and said, you know, I could do that. And I saw her two weeks later and she said to me, Marsha, I have found eight new foods I can eat. And it, I realized that was, it was so powerful. And I realized that she just didn't know how to try foods. And she's an adult professional human being who's smart. It wasn't that she wasn't smart. And it's not that our parents aren't smart when they say to their child, just try this. But that's what we collectively think trying it means is put a mouthful in. When I make tiramisu and say to my husband, here, I just made this, try it. I'm giving him a mouthful and I'm sharing my joy of that food with him. And I actually know he'll like it because he's pretty adventuresome eater. But for our kiddos that are anxious eaters, that are worried about new things, try it that way is too big of an ask. So- You know, I, I, I overlap a lot with a lot of the strategies that, that other folks use, some of the SOS strategies and some of the food chaining strategies. But I've collected through the years the, the sort of ways I, I like to let kids have those sensory rehearsals for trying it with smelling it first and being able to, t- because smelling it is taste from a distance. It gives you a preview about what it's going to taste like before you even put it in your mouth. So if you like that, okay, well, you know, what is it? feel like and and feeling it in your hands like with my grasshoppers gives you an idea of what that texture is going to be like and and then you don't need to put it right in your mouth you could put it next to your lips you could kiss it you could um rub it on your lips in what I call a, a lip gloss taste you could um you could stick your tongue out to it that's very different than plopping it on your tongue, right? You can explore it with your tongue, and that's all outside of your mouth before you're even ready to know, okay, it's okay enough and safe enough. I could put it in my own mouth. And then in your mouth, could it be really, really tiny to start with, or could it be paired with something else? So I, we changed, we redefined what we mean by try it to give kids the ability to be successful on their way towards putting it in their mouth while they're getting used to the rehearsals and the sensory properties. But we also give kids, so the, the, the try that Marta did, was we call a sandwich try. So pair that new food with something you already like. That works for really motivated triers that really want to try it but are worried. But then there are kiddos that are sort of hesitant about trying it at all, and we give them confidence in finger tries. So could you take your finger and rub it on that apple and smell it? Maybe bring it to your lips and kiss it. Maybe rub it on your lips. Maybe bring your tongue out to the flavor and check it out. And then maybe bring that finger flavor to your tongue. I call those flavors because there's no texture involved. And that's the first way. And then the second way would be a finger taste with a texture, which could be the little tiny, tiny amount of marinara sauce or a tiny amount of yogurt where you're doing the same sequence of bringing it towards your face to smell it, to sort of put it on your lip and check it out. Some kids put it on their lip and need to wipe it off their lip right away. That's okay. It's a starting point. And then they gradually get comfortable enough to smear their lips with it like lipstick, like bring their tongue out to get it, and then bring it to their tongue. And then um, and then we talk about taking mouse bites. And those of you who know me at my courses and on my Instagram, I've got some charts for little mouse bites where we take the tiniest little tiny, tiny mouse bite. And if you like that, you could try a little bird bite and then a kitty bite and then a puppy bite. And they can get bigger and bigger as the child feels confident. So what all of these have in common, Mr. Common, Michelle, is it starts small at the place the child is comfortable and it can get, and it can get bigger at their pace. I love this. And I think my favorite is, did you, you called it the lipstick? A, a lip gloss taste. I used to call it a chapstick taste, but the chapstick taste, um, chapstick has, you know, it has a proprietary name. So I, I decided 
I found my book when I was doing my book, I couldn't use that name. So I called it a lip gloss taste. But you know, for some kids, I call a little girl, they might call it a princess taste. Um, on my, um, I have a tiny taste chart that talks about it as a gecko lip taste, where we rub it on your lips. And that gives the child the, the ability to rub it on their lips first with their finger. But then you could rub an apple on your lips and make that a lip gloss taste because mm-hmm. you're getting used to the texture, the smell, the flavor, and getting ready to see, is it is this good enough that I might be ready yet, comfortable enough yet to put it in my mouth to try it? So it's all of those rehearsals, Michelle. Those rehearsals are so important to give these worried kiddos some confidence. I am absolutely starving now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been sitting here listening to you describe this and I'm like, oh, what am I going to make? So I'm pretty sure I'm going to go um, grill up some tempa and add some sauerkraut and a little bit of Thousand Island dressing and like go to town. But, uh, and all I could think of was when, um, do you remember the red hot candies? It's like a ball, but it's just like a red. Yes. Yes. But my sisters and I used to like rub it on our lips. And after it felt like it was singeing your flesh off, like you'd have red lips. And you, you that was, yeah. you know, high living back in the 80s, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yep. But I, that's that's perfect. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm going to have to use um, – I have not – I have – with my personal bear, bear has bear has been my eventful child, my youngest, um, preemie, all the things, and uh, he would not eat grilled cheese sandwiches. He would always tell me, "Mommy, I don't want the hot cheese," which was just I found a very insightful explanation. One of my girlfriends put it in a tortilla, and guess what? He started eating it because it was in a tortilla shell and not like a large piece of bread, and so now he likes hot cheese sandwiches. But the way he, it's the way Miss Annalisa makes it. I like Miss Annalisa's hot cheese, not your hot cheese, mom. <laughs> so, like, that was wonderful because the thing we as adults get kind of stuck on, I want to get you to like grilled cheese. I mm-hmm. want to get you to like grilled cheese. Or, uh, and, and really, cheese and bread can go together in so many ways. Why are mm-hmm. we stuck? Broccoli doesn't have to be raw and disliked. It could be cooked and steamed rice it could be steamed with butter and garlic it could be made into a pesto it could be soup i mean there's so many ways we've got to get think out of the box and not be so Mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh this is not helping my personal internal hunger cues by the way i'm like oh steamed broccoli with a little bit of cauliflower rice and some yep yep Mm -hmm. okay wait we have just we only have like Ah, six, seven minutes left. Uh, so with, with our time, can you talk to me about um, confidence? Oh, I can. Yes. You know, I think in feeding therapy, we've, we somehow got a little waylaid and a little distracted that let's get in five bites. Let's get in 10 bites. Let's get this amount of food in. And, and we should never be doing anything to get food in. Jenny McLaughlin said at a, at a talk recently, we should talk about let, letting kids eat food. She says, the only time I use the word get is when I'm referring people to the get permission approach. <laughs> but, but I think when we're only presenting food in the same way, the same food, um, I, we, we aren't helping children build confidence. And when children learn, they do the same thing over and over and over again in different variations as they're learning any new developmental skill. Why is eating any different than that? So for example, if I'm playing with a little one and the mom and I are playing and and the child has decided that she likes this new taste of yogurt, for example, I'm not going to say, now can you have a spoonful and two spoonfuls and 20 spoonfuls and sitting in your high chair with a seatbelt and eat more, 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 more. That's kind of a vertical approach. I like to sort of play horizontally. And that is to play at this plateau of, I have a new flavor and what can I do with it? So to build confidence, I might say to her, sweetheart, could you take a taste off of, of that yogurt off your little finger? Wait. How about your thumb? Mom, can you take it off your pointer finger? Wait, mate, what, I, I could use two fingers. Wait, how many fingers can you use? Wait, can you try that off of 
Which one of these spoons in this bowl do you want to try it on? Can you eat it off the wrong end of the spoon? How about a fork? I'm not talking about eating quantities. I'm taking the tiniest little flavor and having the child learn to taste it off of different things. How about on the edge of a cup? How about, wait, could you, when you go home this week, can you have some with grandma? Could you have some of that yogurt with, with dad? Who else could you have it with your brother? Wait, could you have it in your kitchen? Could you have it on your front porch? Could you have it in the bedroom? Could you have it in the living room? Green eggs and ham. Could you, would you? Yes. <laughs> and, so, and so the idea is, can you try that little tiny amount in so many different ways that we could celebrate? Because I know you're already good at it. So now what we're doing is we're hanging out in the celebration stage. But if you immediately go to uh, more, 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 they're on the edge of worry each time because they don't know it, right? But here they are confident they're skilled and they are being celebrated while they're building confidence with that new food. Really, really important. I, you just, yeah, you just helped me. I've, I've, I've got a new little one who was a surprise for the family. So like siblings are in a very different stage of their life, but you just helped me brainstorm through a case that I was stuck on. You know, Michelle, I have to build confidence. I have kids, um, more, videos of new food techniques. So for example, if a child comes into the clinic or if I go to a home visit and we're teaching the child how to do a finger taste and, and I teach them how to do that finger taste on a food they already know because I'm teaching them the skill. You know, they mm-hmm. don't have to know the new food to begin with. They just have to know you can do a finger taste. So we use a number of foods that they know to practice this. And then I might say to them, hey, this week when you go home, could you make a video so we could teach other kids how to do this? Can you pick how many foods do you want to pick from your refrigerator? One or two that you could teach finger tries with. And then we have kids make little videos. Then they come back to therapy. They have a video to show me. They get celebrated. They've built confidence yes. in new food trying. And we do that for weeks and weeks and weeks, trying lots of new things and familiar things, and we blend it. So that child is building up new food trying confidence. Then when they bring that skill to the, to the family table, they've got it. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm sorry. My, I've, I've gone clinical mode because I'm just thinking like this is this, um, this little one, we're waiting on some evaluations to come back because I'm kind of anticipating an EOE diagnosis given all of the, all of the PMH. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for helping. She's the cutest little kid and her pigtails are adorable, but, um, everybody loves seeing themselves in action. We all love selfies and I can see how a selfie video of fingertip taste for this kid would just be like, the thing that like cracks this this fear cycle that she's stuck in, yeah. and um, and I mean like we are we are doing we've got psych on we've got family counseling we've done all of those but there's there was still a thing that I couldn't I, this was an answer to our prayers thank you much ma'am okay so if folks want to learn more I know you said it earlier on but can you please tell everybody again your website and your Instagram. And do you have a Facebook page? I do sort of, but I forget to look at it ever. So, <laughs> so therefore, I wouldn't say I'm very connected with it. But um, when I came out with this new book, I published um, Anxious Eaters, Anxious Mealtimes, Practical and Compassionate Strategies for Mealtime Peace. I published it with a self-publishing company because I didn't want uh, it to be really, really expensive. And it was, if I published it with the other companies I'd done other books with, they wanted to think of it as a textbook and charge lots and lots of money for it. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you self-publish something, you actually have to let people know about it. And yes. social media is not my best thing. I, I, I'm pretty good at feeding, but social media, I'm just in that generation that I'm just a little fearful of it. And I, and I have to develop my skills very slowly. So I would, I would be lost without Annalisa. So yes, I completely understand. But I do have an Instagram. So it's um, get permission approach. And I'm building that and learning about it. And I do have www.getpermissionapproach.com is my website. We're and I'm, I'm building that with a lot of resources that you can download and share. I do, um, I, I, well, until COVID, I was traveling nationally and internationally doing get permission approach 
um, two-day courses and anxious eater courses. And I will do that again, I know. But in the meantime, I've been doing webinars and I'm, I'm very likely going to be developing webinars out of my website. And so that'll be a place that people can go at some point um, to find webinars. Um, and Facebook is get permission approach, but I'm sorry, but I'm not too active there yet. Um, and, and the book, Anxious Eaters, Anxious Mealtime, is, is being published by Archway Publishing, Archway Publishing, and also it's available on Amazon. So um, I, I encourage you to check it out. And if you like it, please tell your friends about it, because just know I, I need all the help I can get to tell the world about it. But people are loving it. They're just yes. loving it. And for professionals and parents. So I think it'll be helpful. I just think you're going to find a lot of very practical information. I think this hour was practical. Um, yes. And I think um, you'll see that kind of practicality in in, uh, in, in the book. So. Yes, yes, abs absolutely, 110% it is. Um, thank you. Thank you so very much for sharing of your time and your talents. We are grateful for you and everything that you have done for the PFD community for the last, um, for your lifetime. So I look forward to the new edition um, of the next book and yay. And um, hold on, wait, I got to switch this over to questions. I could keep talking to you. Oh my God, I went back into fan girl mode. Hold on, let me switch this to questions, okay? Sure. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.